Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora. I'm the principal of Kerry Baptist College, and it's a real privilege to be opening the scriptures with you today. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 43, and I'm starting at verse 14. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon And bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians and the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. A few weeks ago, I read a really interesting book called The Choice. It's written by Edith Eager a Holocaust survivor. And at one point in the story, she she writes this. She says, I knew a girl at Auschwitz who was very ill and wasting away. Every morning I expected to find her dead on her bunk. Um, and, And I feared that at every selection line, she'd be sent towards death. But she surprised me. She managed to gather strength each morning to work another day. And she kept a lively spark in her eyes each time she faced Mengel's pointing finger in a selection line. But then at night, she would collapse onto her bunk, breathing in rasps. And I asked her how she was managing to go on. And she said, I I heard we're going to be liberated by Christmas. She was keeping a meticulous calendar in her head, counting down the days and then the hours until our liberation, determined to be free. And Eager says, but then Christmas came and our liberators did not. And that girl, she died the next day. Eager says, I believe that her inner voice of hope kept her alive. But when she lost her hope, she wasn't able to keep living. Well, this passage in Isaiah 43 was written for the people of Israel at a time when they desperately needed hope. Their nation had been destroyed by the Babylonian armies. 
Their leaders had been dragged off into exile. Their God had been dismissed as irrelevant. And they're struggling. They're struggling with all the D words. (laughs) They're disoriented. They're discouraged. They're disillusioned. They're despairing. They're doubting. They're doubting that God can renew them. They're doubting that God wants to renew them. They need a word of hope. And in this passage, that's what God gives them, a word of hope or two words of hope, as it turns out. I don't know if you noticed, but this passage actually contains two separate poems, each one starting with the phrase, this is what the Lord says. The first poem centers on a promise in verse 14, where God says, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. Now, this is clearly a reference to the fall of Babylon at the hands of Cyrus, the Persian king, who God will send as his servant to conquer Babylon and free his people. And the picture that we're given here is of the Babylonian ships, which had once brought great wealth and pride into the city, suddenly laden with refugees escaping from the city as Cyrus invades from the north. But like a picture can be transformed by the frame surrounding it. This picture here, this promise is transformed by what surrounds it. I mean, did you notice the cluster of names on both sides of this promise? I mean, look at, look at the names before the promise. Names used to describe the one who will do the sending. In verse 14, we read that he is the Lord, Yahweh, the God who bound himself by covenant to the people of Israel. And he's Israel's redeemer the God who takes as his own all the needs of his people. And he's the Holy One of Israel. He's the God who is holy, the God who is faithful to his covenant people, even when they are not faithful. And then in verse 15, we see that he is Israel's creator. He's the God who created or birthed Israel as a nation when he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And he is your king. In the ancient Near East, uh, the king was in one sense the father of his people. So do you see the theme running right across all these names? Every one of these names or titles speaks of God's passionate personal commitment to his people, to his family. Well, as a child, I had a front row view of this kind of faithfulness. My two older brothers were both adopted at birth. And it would be fair to say that they struggled with a sense of being abandoned or or displaced or or maybe even exiled from their family, their family of origin at least. And I I remember late one night, when I was just a little boy, my, my brother arguing with dad at the top of his voice and then shouting when the, when the argument reached its crescendo, I hate you, before slamming the front door, the big, heavy front door of our house and storming off into the night. 
And I'll never forget hearing my dad and my mum sobbing quietly in the room next door. I'll never forget watching my mum and my dad searching for their son, yearning for their son. And when he came home, killing the fattened calf and rejoicing over their son. And then on Sunday, singing the hymn, O love that will not let me go. The God we worship is a God who reveals himself in this text as the faithful one. And so he says in verse 14, it's for your sake. He says to his people, it's for your sake that I will send Cyrus to crush Babylon. Isn't that incredible when you think about it? The Persian army will rise. The Babylonian empire will fall. World history will turn because of God's passionate commitment to his exiled people. Large scale geopolitical shifts are going to take place because of God's unfailing love for his covenant people. The Lord is going to rearrange global forces. He's going to change the history of empires in order to rescue and renew his people. William Temple, the remarkable Anglican church leader, he once said this. He once said, the supreme wonder of the history of the Christian church is that always in those moments when it seemed most dead, out of its body would spring new life. I teach church history at Kerry, and, and Temple's right. Think about the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, or the Radical Reformation in the 17th century, or the Evangelical Revival of the 18th century, or the Second Great Awakening in the 19th century, or the Charismatic Renewal of the 20th century. In those moments, when the church seems most dead, God causes new life to spring up. He's faithful to his covenant people, even when they're unfaithful. In recent years in New Zealand, church engagement on Sundays has declined, right? And the cultural values which we have held dearly as the church, that those, those values have been dismissed Public attitudes towards Christianity, towards the church, have deteriorated markedly. Economic forces have begun to endanger the viability of many faith communities. Sometimes, if I'm honest, it can feel like we're in exile. Sometimes God can seem far away. But the word of hope for us in this first poem is that God is passionately committed to his people. He will not abandon his church. I was talking to a couple, um, I was talking to a, a, a Māori student at Kerry just a few weeks ago. He said to me, do you know how many Māori are coming to faith in Jesus at the moment right across Aotearoa, New Zealand? I said, no. He said, it's staggering. So many Māori coming to faith in Jesus. God has not abandoned his church. I was chatting a while back with Alan Jamison. He's the director of the New Zealand Baptist Missionary Society. Do you know how many Christians today in Tripura, that's a northeastern state of India, do you know how many Christians up there trace their whakapapa to New Zealand Baptist missionaries? 115,000. 
And guess how many of that 115,000 have come to faith and been baptized in just the last two to three years? Guess how many? 15,000. God has not abandoned his church. Which brings us to the second part of this passage, the second poem. If the first poem assures us of God's passion for his people, the second poem assures us of God's power on behalf of his people. In verse 16, we read, This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. This is clearly a reference to the Exodus, right? When God demonstrated more spectacularly than perhaps anywhere else in the Old Testament, his remarkable sovereignty over both people and place. It's a wonderful description of the Exodus, but look at the verbs that are used here. Most translations place them in the past tense. So it's, it's this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, past tense, who drew out the chariots and horses, past tense. But these verbs, they're actually present participles. A better translation would be, this is what the Lord says, he who makes a way through the sea, who draws out the chariots and horses, present tense. This is in the present tense. And the point is that what God has done is not all that God can do or will do. The spectacular acts of God in the past do not merely belong to the past. Because God is faithful to his people and because he is sovereign over people and place, he is forever leading his people into new life. And that's why in verse 18, he suddenly pivots. Apologies, that is a much overused word at the moment. And he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. It's, it's springing up. Don't you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It's happening right now. So do you see what he's promising his people here? In this promise, he is, he is giving them or promising them another exodus, a new exodus. He's saying to them, in effect, just as I once made a way for you through the sea, I am now making a way for you across the sand. Just as I once turned the mighty waters into dry land, I am now turning the dry land into streams of living water. Yes, I guess at one level, this is a guarantee that he will guide and sustain his people on their long journey from exile in Babylon back to their homeland across the, the burning deserts. But it's more than that. In verse 20, God says, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is an image of cosmic transformation. 
in which all of creation, the jackals, the owls, all of creation rejoices. God's promising that that he will renovate, he will renew his entire creation, all people, all places. And with Jesus, we know this side of the cross, it's begun. The one who calls himself the way, the one who offers living water to those who are thirsty. He says, come, follow me, join me in the new things that I'm doing. So how might we do that? Well, some time ago, one of our lecturers at Kerry was offering through our Centre for Lifelong Learning a course on local mission, George Wheeland, wonderful missiologist. And uh, with this group, he had the participants read some literature on local mission. Then he got them to to walk through their neighborhoods, engaging in some very simple practices. He said, as you walk the streets, ask God to help you see what he sees and to delight in what he delights in and to grieve over what he grieves over. And then pray for the blessings of God's kingdom for your neighborhood and, and look for signs of that kingdom. And then afterwards, he said, I want you to write a short reflection about what you've seen, what you've heard, what you noticed, what you want to know more about, what you prayed for, and what you felt prompted by God to act on. And then finally, George met with each of the participants one-on-one to discuss their experience and to help help them develop a tentative strategy for bringing gospel renewal to their neighborhood in light of what they'd seen and, and, uh, and experienced. Well, one of the participants walked around the streets surrounding the church building where he and the people of his church worshipped. As a result of doing that, he ended up at one point on the campus of the local university where he found himself gazing at a community with hundreds of international students, students desperate to connect with Kiwi families. Students wide open to conversations about faith. God had brought them from the nations to to this guy's doorstep. And it dawned on him that this was where he and his church family needed to be. God was doing something new. Right under their nose. Well, if, if you're like me. The last two years have probably felt at times a little bit like a wilderness. Extended lockdowns, vaccine mandates, constant uncertainty, financial pressure, regular pivoting. I mean, all of this, it's taken its toll. And maybe like Israel in exile, you're feeling a little disoriented, a little disillusioned, a little discouraged, a little displaced will hear the word of God through the prophet Isaiah. He says through these words, I am passionately committed to you, my people. And I am present with all my power to bring new life, both to you and to the neighborhoods in which I have placed you as my witnesses. See, I am doing a new thing. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website 
windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.